Welcome to the Quantum Pod, a podcast by Zapata. In this episode, we get to learn all about quantum optimization, different approaches to it, where optimization is found, and why that matters. So today with me in the Quantum Pod, I have Yudong Kao, who is the CTO of Zapata, and Alejandro Perdomo Ortiz, who is Associate Director of Quantum AI. Uh, both of you, welcome to the Quantum Pod. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Ethan. Uh, great to be here with you guys. Okay, so uh, there's two of you again. So like with the Luis and Brian episode, uh, which was our last one, uh, we'll see if your your quantum pods work together, um, but yeah, this is this is your pod today. So uh, set the stage. Uh, what does it uh, look like? Sound like? Um, is there anybody else in the pod with you? Uh, food, music, any sort of equipment you have with you? Uh, Yudong, why don't you tell us about your pod first? Oh, my my ideal atmosphere. I think it's uh, pretty much uh, a. a, a a very large room with, uh, you know, with with enough screens that, uh, to 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 show all the information I want to show, and then a large blackboard. So that that's probably the the, the best setting for me. A blackboard, not whiteboard. Yeah, I guess I still have a preference for, you know, it's uh, the old school, uh, you know, the the sort of academic, right? The, the, uh, doing doing research in these old university buildings. I I sort of like the 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 sort of somewhat scratchy sound you make when when you when you doodle on a on a blackboard. I I I know that not everybody appreciate that. Old school, cool. I like it. Alejandro, what about you? That that's very vintage. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. No, no. In my case, I think I always need a uh, uh, a little bit of Colombian music in the background, just to even when I'm working, that that, that helps a lot. It's gonna like to cheer me up. And to, to keep me focused and uh, yeah so now i think uh, we moved to toronto so enjoying the the beautiful green from the beautiful green view from the apartment now that the winter is finally over so <laughs> that's the scenery for for my office for my remote office at the moment okay so our next questions are uh we've got a couple of rapid fire questions so quick answers um and we'll start with you uh, alejandro what do you find personally most interesting about quantum computing Yes, for me, quantum computing. I mean, it's been a it's been a journey of about uh, sixteen years now. I would say since I started playing with the learning about the technologies and learning about the theory. That that's the time when I started my graduate school. Uh, what I find the uh, the most exciting things in quantum computing has always been the possibility of solving intractable problems. So doing things and performing tasks that are impossible to do for classical computers. So that's what I find the most fascinating aspects of quantum technologies, the promise that we could actually uh, revolutionize the way we do computation now and to solve practical problems that, are, that could have a huge impact in the world. Awesome. And what about you, Yudong? Yeah, I think it's probably, um, it's probably something related to fault tolerance. Because uh, uh, I, I remember um, in in, in uh, when I was doing my PhD in, in uh, computer science, people talk about a lot of these exotic models of computation. I think in the 70s, people talk about optical computing. In the 80s, uh, they talk about these analog computing where you can um, where you can compute these integrals and def- uh, derivatives on the on 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 a- these analog chips. 
those all seem to be quite powerful uh, schemes of uh, computation. But once you introduce noise, then people find out that uh, they are actually not that powerful. They're not as powerful as the CPUs. And uh, the quantum computing, I think, in some way, is sort of an outlier in the sense that people have proven that you can actually use quantum mechanics to uh, to fight the noise and uh, and and make uh, quantum computation uh, pretty much last indefinitely. So so that is the one thing that I think differentiates quantum computing from all these other sort of exotic forms of uh, uh, computation like DNA computing or analog computing, etc. So so that that I I, I feel like. There must be some pretty deep reason why quantum mechanics allows us to do that, while all these you know uh, all these other models of computation based on uh, classical physics uh, don't allow us to do this. So so that that's that's something that I found pretty fascinating, and and then you can take advantage of that unique quantumness to to do computation. So uh, so I felt I felt like that's that's uh, it's not that's that's not common. It so it, you know, it's one of those things where when you feel like you you saw it and then and you read about it and and it it's one of the things that jumps out of you and and uh, and and makes you squint and and suspect you know is it is it actually true like is it is it actually the way it works like is it actually possible right to to pull this off but then yeah. as you as you work through it and it turns out that well there's, there's something pretty magical about this and I think till this day still people are trying to grapple with you know what is the what is the the hidden sauce what's the what's the magic sauce uh, of quantum that that makes all of the quantum algorithms work uh, I think we don't have a complete answer yet so so I feel like this is just a perpetual mystery uh, that, that I found very fascinating about quantum mechanics and also quantum computing hmm. and then Yudong, back to you, what is the most revolutionary aspect of quantum computing? So let's personally, more overall for the world in general. Well, I think the most revolutionary aspect is probably that it combines two of the deepest uh, developments in the 20th century, like in, 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 in our sort of scientific landscape. Like what are the deepest developments? I think, I think quantum, quantum physics is definitely one huge breakthrough. Um, so many of what we see today, uh, including the cell phone that I'm speaking to through uh, you know, laser, nuclear physics, they're all built on quantum physics. And then there's a separate, seemingly entirely separate revolution, which is based on information theory. Um, and then, in the, then you, you, you would think that quantum physics and information theory, you know, at, at first glance, they are pretty unlikely it's pretty strange bedfellows, uh, but then in the in the late eighties, uh, people start to see that you can actually marry them together uh, in this in in this uh, sort of uh, very unique way to 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 do computation, uh, and and that that I think is uh, is is quite uh, revolutionary, and and uh, uh, I, and, I, and I mean this in sort of in the same sort of order of magnitude as, for example, we had the. Uh, quantum physics uh, revolution uh, in the in the in the early twentieth century, and then in the mid nineteenth century, we have the uh, electromagnetic, uh, like the, the huge breakthrough by Maxwell about electromagnetism, and then before that, the breakthrough in, in thermodynamics, and then before that, the breakthrough by Newton on uh, uh, on the classical physics and, uh, and and calculus. So, 
So I feel like quantum computing is something uh, that quantum information is something that is uh, that is sort of comparable in, in magnitude uh, to the kind of revolutions that uh, that will reveal insights on pretty much um, all of the uh, industry, all of the sort of science and technology uh, that, uh, that 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 we eventually think about. And what about you, Alejandro? What do you find the, as most revolutionary in quantum computing? Yeah, I think uh, overall, I, I agree with you, Dong, that, um, that one of the most revolutionary aspects is this, is this fact that you could tap into, into nature to squeeze some computational power, that actually you can manipulate nature and understand nature at the level of, uh, the, at the level of this microscopic or atomistic level in such a way that you can even perform and build algorithms. That is actually the expertise and when in computer science, we've been using and leveraging through all these decades to, to revolutionize the, the, the computer industry. So is that the fact that you can tap into nature to, to squeeze some, some computational power? I think that's, that's revolutionary and fascinating. And that only came precisely as you mentioned in the early 1900s with the, with our understanding of quantum mechanics and that nature at the, at the very, at the core, at the, at the microscopic, at the atomistic level, actually is, is governed by these laws of quantum mechanics and, and that we can use them to perform computation. That's, that's to me, uh, the, the revolutionary aspect of quantum computing and, and a fascinating one. Yeah. And, and speaking of computations you can perform with quantum computers, we're here to talk about optimization. That's what this whole, this whole pod is about. Um, but why? What's so interesting about um, quantum optimization? And Yudong, why don't you start on this one? Yeah, so I, I, I want to just dovetail from the previous question about, you know, what was the, my personal so journey right, to enter into quantum computing? And so um, uh, as, as, uh, as, as much as uh, I'm not willing to admit, it, I, I'm actually... Uh, I, the, the first topic I worked on in quantum computing was actually adiabatic quantum computing, quantum annealing. Just a quick note, you're going to hear the terms quantum annealing and adiabatic quantum computing thrown around in this episode. Don't worry too much about what that is. It's a different type of quantum computing that some people believe is especially suited for quantum optimization problems. So I was... Uh... Uh, I was re- very fascinated by D-Wave and, and what they're doing, and, and, and it, 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 at least at least at, at first glance, it, it looks like it looks like they really made it feel uh, quantum computing was uh, commercial. It was it was a commercial product, and and they're, they're solving real industry problems. So, so I was I was actually very attracted to this uh, to this idea that you know they're, uh, this very fun, fundamental, very abstract science. Can actually be directly plugged into something that uh, that can that can drive um, that can drive industry uh, use cases. So you know, m- much is to be said about you know the the science of what D-Wave does. Uh, but but I just sort of want to use that sort of personal story that, to to sort of motivate right. That, so why why optimization was important? I think it, it it at least for me it provided that initial spark that that really motivated me to. To look into uh, to look into quantum computing and uh, um, just sort of uh, speaking in retrospect, when uh, uh, having having uh, met with uh, uh, quite a few enterprise customers and talked about their problems and trying to understand um, what what they are what they are working on, 
So these enterprise customers, they spread over uh, many different industries, you know, retail distribution, pharmaceutical industry, or banking. They're, they're very distinct um, they're very distinct animals, but uh, uh, one thing I realized was that uh, they, they, one thing, uh, a common feature that they all share is, is this uh, complexity. And if you, if you look at any Fortune 50 company in the world, um, they, they probably have uh, you know, a global network of resources that they need to, that they need to optimize. And, and typically, those uh, give rise to uh, optimization problems. So, so typically, when you have a complex situation with uh, constraints, and then you're trying to maximize some kind of reward, right, this is a, a very uh, common recipe for very hard optimization problems. And uh, you can imagine these Fortune 50 companies; they're they're filled with problems where where they they want to they they have to deal with a, a ton of different constraints. But then they, they are they're all incentivized to, for example, maximize revenue or, or minimize cost. So so you can see sort of how this sort of hard optimization problems can arise uh, in reality very easily. What Yudong is saying here is more or less that everything a business does is an optimization problem. Maximizing profit and minimizing cost is, in and of itself, an incredibly complex optimization problem. Part of what makes running a business so hard is that there are a lot of variables and a lot of unknowns. To be clear, we're not claiming that a quantum computer will be running all the operations of global companies at any point in the foreseeable future. There are too many variables and too much complexity for even quantum computers to handle. What they can do is help look at different aspects of business operations and R&D to optimize subsets of the overall business operation problem. And unfortunately, uh, and computer, uh, computer scientists have uh, studied those uh, those optimization, well, some some abstract version of abstract version of uh, these optimization problems, and uh, and they have uh, arrived at this very uh, clean concept of MP hardness. So, so a lot of the hard optimization problems that I was describing uh, can be shown to to, to be uh, so called MP hard, and then and one, and then once once it it, it has this label, uh, it means that it's quite unlikely that a, a classical algorithm can solve uh, all instances of the problem in a provably efficient way. So, so it, it basically it's it's sort of a stamp of uh, proof that uh, this problem is is really hard to solve. And, uh, and 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 the reason why it's hard is not because we're not smart enough. The reason why it's hard is it's because it's just fun fundamentally so uh, complex. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and then there there are plenty of opportunities. Uh, to solve those MP hard problems with all kinds of uh, resources, including quantum computing, which I think is quite a unique opportunity. Yeah. Alejandro, did you have anything to add about why optimization is so interesting in, in quantum? Yes, I think I think you don't summarize really well like the, the different aspects of, of why we look into quantum optimization. Maybe there is one thing that I wanted to emphasize that you don't mentioned, and uh, maybe from a different angle, and it's just to, to emphasize that uh, Quantum computation is not meant to be used for any problem. For example, we would not use a quantum computer just to multiply numbers. It's, that's an easy task. So when we actually, when we find uh, the opportunity of using quantum advantage, or actually that, that's the term that is used nowadays for this possibility of having a quantum computer do something better or solve an optimization problem better than when you can do just with the classical resources with your laptop or maybe with the, with the supercomputing centers, 
is is this is this opportunity of quantum advantage is only present i th i think at, at the moment in these problems that you don't describe as intractable so there are there are different adjectives that you will find in the community and for example if you talk to any of the fortune 500 or for example i worked at nasa for five and a half years if you talk to the engineers uh working in the direct problems uh optimization problems in the real world this these problems uh are appear everywhere actually these problems that you don't mention that there are certain adjectives for example they are constraint optimization combinatorial optimization all of these problems are labeled usually as mp hard and as you don't mention these problems are the problems that uh that we don't know we don't have a solution yet even in the classical and that's why there is an opportunity for quantum computers to make an impact there so i think i wanted to mention as well that it is not expected let's say that a quantum computer will uh we have an exponent, what is called an exponential advantage over the, the classical computer in these problems. At least that's the expectation of the scientists. But still, I mean, I think from a practical aspect, I'm very optimistic that we can have some sort of advantage. For example, if I'm talking to someone doing portfolio optimization in finance, certainly I'm confident that, for example, that we can give a, a, a solution, a quantum solution that actually is better than what they are doing. And maybe even if it is not from the computational science perspective, uh, what they call an asymptotic scaling, something that is actually that they get an exponential advantage is something that is still adds a lot of value uh, for the customer. And the reason is because these problems are very, very hard to solve with the classical techniques. To add a bit more color to what Alejandro is saying about quantum advantage that isn't asymptotic exponential advantage, I'd mention that sometimes you can improve the quality of an algorithm without necessarily improving the speed. A classic example is with using machine learning to generate faces. If your goal is to generate the best face and you don't care how long it takes, perhaps an algorithm exists that takes twice as long as the fastest algorithm but gives more believable faces or better faces. That would be a qualitative advantage that might come from quantum generative models that might not necessarily be an exponential advantage as we typically think of it. So I think, I mean, to summarize my answer is just First of all, if you're thinking of quantum optimization or why quantum optimization becomes a field is because the existence of these problems that are intractable in nature, they're extremely hard. And I think the other, the other thing that I wanted to bring home is the possibility of quantum computers not necessarily to bring what they would call an exponential uh, advantage, as for example, as we have a few examples of that in quantum computation, like, like in Shor's algorithm for factoring numbers for forgetting the prime numbers of, of, of a number so that's that's actually is uh, but still there is a there is an opportunity in quantum optimization to deliver better solutions than those that you can have with the state-of-the-art algorithms and i guess maybe you don't later will touch onto some of these uh, different industries that, that that we find uh that can definitely uh leverage on this power yeah yeah and that was going to be my next question for you, Yudong. Um, Alejandro touched a little bit on this with like uh, Fortune 500 companies having this complexity, at lots of scale, the problems that come with that. Um, but where do we find optimization in the real world? Yudong gave a three-part answer to this question. First, he talked about the general properties of potential optimization problems that are most likely to yield useful results. So I think part of the sort of process of finding optimization in, in real world is is really to 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 find hard problems and, and and then typically those are hard problems with a lot of uh, 
uh, with a lot of restrict with a lot of restrictions, and then typically there's a very huge uh, in, in, incentive to to to, to maximize some uh, very quantifiable uh, uh, very quantifiable metric, and typically those those make for a very rich uh, source of these optimization problems. Some examples of areas where properties like hard problems, constraints, and large potential rewards could be found include retail distribution, supply chain optimization, bioinformatics, protein design, finance, portfolio optimization, along with many other potential use cases that maybe we don't even know about yet. Next, he talked about what we see in customer engagements here at Zapata, remarking, I think the, the word find is it's a very interesting choice. Because in some of our engagements, we have to actively look for seeing if the problem that we're presented with actually matches up with the characteristics that Yudong just outlined. We're not always, as Yudong puts it, dealing with... PhD mathematicians. They're, they're typically sort of a line of business managers that have specific goals in mind. For example, someone who's managing a whole fleet of, uh, of trucks or, or someone who has... Who has, who has to manage a lot of resource and then has to, uh, has to drive towards some quantifiable goal. For example, uh, total, reduce the total cost, reduce carbon emission, reduce total mileage, etc. So, so this, is, this is the kind of territory where if you, if you talk with somebody uh, who's, who's in that kind of position, right? So this is typically not somebody who, who has a, uh, an education in mathematics or computer science who has the language to say, I have an optimization problem. And that's great. We love being able to take hard business problems, find out how we can help solve them, and apply the latest and greatest in quantum to do just that. Although the flip side of this coin is that sometimes we are speaking directly with people who have a bit more uh, sort of background in, in mathematics and, and, uh, and, and computer science. They, they have the language saying, I have a constraint optimization for you to solve, or I, or, or in some some cases, the customers have formulated the, the question very neatly themselves. They even have their own algorithms to solve it, and then they they will come they'll come to us say, hey, we've looked at this optimization problem for a very long time. This is you know multiple. This is this is uh, some variant of integer linear programming that, that that is very specific to our business, and we have this in-house solver that is very highly optimized, and uh, we would like to see if you have anything to add uh, with quantum. And if you've been listening to our other episodes, you know that what Yudong just said is very much like what Jonathan and I dove deep into in episode two of this season. So if you want to learn more about that process, be sure to give that episode a listen. I will leave a link to it in the show notes. So, so you can see this whole spectrum, right? I think I, think I, I, I laid out sort of the two two sort of extreme ends of the spectrum and then and then in the middle there are there are you know uh, industry uh, enterprise customers that are sort of a mixture of uh, they, they sort of know they're optimizing something but uh, uh, they, they probably don't have the they, they probably don't have uh, the, the accurate or the precise sort of mathematical language to, to, to spell that out but but they do know that they want to minimize something or they want to maximize something they, they do have the the, the, the conceptual sort of understanding that it's an optimization problem, but maybe they, they just need to take a few extra steps to, to, to really um, sort of uh, understand the, the formulation of, uh, of, of how these optimization problems uh, came to be. Yeah. And Alejandro, in some cases, people think that they want an optimization uh, solver 
but um, they don't want to look at quantum or machine learning, thinking that those are completely separate. And this has been described as a, a false trichotomy, at least amongst us at, here at Zapata. Uh, could you talk a bit about how we can actually find a sweet spot in the middle of quantum machine learning and optimization, bring them all together? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I think um, that it's an interesting question because I think it, it taps us well into my journey with, with quantum and, and, and quantum applications. And I think uh, the way I always describe my relationship with optimization and quantum optimization is kind of like a love and hate relationship. And now I think we're in the face of love again. I think uh, I, I mentioned that early in the podcast that uh, when I started working on, on quantum computation, my first project actually was related to quantum optimization. It was about actually finding the structure of, uh, uh, finding the lowest configuration of a protein. So it was, it was a protein in, in, in biophysics, it's called the lattice protein folding. and um, and the idea was, how can we map this to a quantum device? You don't mention that uh, quantum annealing was the, the, the prominent technology back in the day. And then, so it was, it, was, it was a tremendous effort even to get that physical problem, that biophysical problem into the language in such a way that it can be run in, in one of these machines. So that, that was one of my, my, PhD, uh, my PhD works. Later at NASA as well, I mean, by talking to many engineers and NASA scientists, uh, there was this, um, this constant uh, uh, need for solving opt combinatorial optimization problems of in interest to the agency. But then I think maybe uh, uh, it was around, so I started like about 2006, maybe in about 2014. Uh, there was, of course, I mean, there was, a, there was a big impact. The machine learning was picking up very, very aggressively. And at the same time, uh, my love for quantum optimization or my, my optimism for finding a quantum advantage in optimization was decaying exponentially as well, I think, in that phase. So I think that's actually when I saw an opportunity, a nice opportunity to think, and, and, and I was leading the team at NASA uh, and the, in, the, in the domain only on quantum machine learning. So we have a sub-team just devoted to, to those tasks. And then basically that's when I, when I started my love relationship with quantum machine learning. And that's, uh, that, that's what I still do until today. So I left kind of like for a while, uh, optimization kind of like in the, in the back burner. In reality, I left the kind of like, there was a, that's the, the hate part of, of the relationship. And then I completely kind of like changed my love and towards machine learning. And I devoted myself just to quantum machine learning uh, with, with my team. So, but then actually uh, it was a few years ago that we had this idea. I mean, and this is completely new in machine learning is that, uh, some of the leaders in machine learning, they were thinking about using machine learning for combinatorial optimization. And that's when I started actually paying attention and saying, oh, wow, I can actually combine what I know in quantum optimization, and then actually maybe use some machine learning. So maybe I can kill, or we said it's a pattern, we don't say kill two birds with one stone, we can maybe feed the three, uh, three birds with one scone. <laughs> so basically we can just actually, so that was the idea of this paper that came out that is enhancing combinatorial optimization with quantum generative models. And we feel actually that's, uh, um, that's actually one of the most exciting outcomes, uh, at least uh, in my opinion, from the uh, from when I look at an algorithm that has the potential of delivering quantum advantage or beating uh, the, the record of state-of-the-art classical algorithms for optimization, I see this algorithm that combines the three fields, machine learning, quantum computing, for tackling combinatorial optimization problems, one of the most exciting outcomes uh, uh, that has come out uh, out of our, our team. So, 
So this is actually the story of, of this um, trichotomy between uh, quantum machine learning and optimization that I feel actually is, uh, in, in my opinion, is something that is gonna is gonna take off uh, very aggressively, and hopefully we keep demonstrating that uh, that we can tackle very very interesting problems uh, in the company with this with this new approach. Yeah, and and how have we at Zapata been approaching quantum optimization? Well, I think one of the things it applies to the people that, that we hire. For example, when I'm actually recruiting people from 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 quantum machine learning, so one of the things that I tell them is, uh, for example, we recently got someone I think Luis, Luis Luis from Apple. I think when 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 we're discussing about quantum computation, the first thing that I tell them is that they need to be the best in machine learning, the state of the art machine learning. Because why? Because we need we need to have a superior technology that understands and beats the best classical algorithms in machine learning. So it's the same, it's the same story for, 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 for combinatorial optimization. So we as Zapata actually, we take very seriously as well, the state-of-the-art classical techniques for combinatorial optimization because the customer always want to contrast and making sure that you're benchmarking and gets the best thing that they can do. Or, or even sometimes actually the customer brings that, that expertise to us. They know mm. they, they've been working on this for decades and they know what we need to compete against their tools and we need to have people that actually understand that. And, and that's the classical component of, of combinatorial optimization. So, so that's one component. So we need to be the best at classical optimization. But when it comes to quantum, there are many, many approaches. I would say uh, that is kind of like the entry point, for example, for customers who just want to get their feet wet with quantum optimization. And they want to understand, for example, if they can deploy their algorithms in near-term devices. And for that, for example, we have many options. Uh, the most popular one nowadays is, is what is called the is QEOA, that stands for the Quantum Approximate Optimization Algorithm. That's one of the acronyms that, that the community use. And this is basically an algorithm that is tailored for running on the current devices. So if there is a customer that, that they want to understand about the quantum hardware running in these so-called NISC devices, NISC stands for uh, is NISK, SQ, that stands for Noise Intermediate Scale Quantum Devices. So if they just want to see how they can deploy their current algorithm into a NIST device, so basically that, that would be a solution and, and, and those, are, those are customer type, type one, for example, they, they come with that need. But in some cases, another, another solution that we can provide, for example, is thinking of quantum annealing. So if you want to uh, deploy on hardware. So for example, another another venue that you can go is, is directly to use an annealer instead of a gate-based device. The gate-based device, the, the algorithm of QAOA is tailored for gate-based devices, such as that one that you find in IBM, Honeywell, uh, IonQ, Google, all these companies building uh, um, gate-based uh, architectures. So that's actually but that is still, I mean, there is a limitation in those algorithms and is that you are limited by the number of qubits of the current technologies. So what we propose actually with uh, with with, the, with our quantum enhanced optimization uh, technique that I was describing that combines machine learning, quantum, quantum information and, and combinatorial optimization is that you can run this using quantum resources, but still you can run this, let's say in your supercomputing center or in your laptop. And this is what is so called. I mean, this is one of the uh, of the technologies that is, is one of the most promising. It's called quantum-inspired algorithms. So, in a quantum-inspired algorithms, you are not necessarily leveraging the full power of quantum mechanics, but for example, you are still 
using a classical device, so you're using your laptop, but you're simulating a quantum system that is has much less quantum resources, but there is still some there is still there are still quantum resources left to make a difference compared to the classical uh, algorithm that you would like to to compete or compare. So this is actually a way, it's kind of like a dial that you can go all the way from classical. For example, in QEO, we have we have an algorithm that leverages generative models. Generative models is a concept, is the way we model, uh, is, is a way to do probabilistic modeling in machine learning. And that's the way, for example, you could generate new faces. That's, that's actually, that's one of the applications of generative models. Um, generative versatile networks is an example of that. For example, in our QEO framework, you can use the same framework that we built to actually to use a classical algorithm, like a, like a GAN. But if you start tuning on the dial, the quantum dial, you can go to a quantum inspired solution. And that would be, for example, by using tensor networks. That's what we deployed in, 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 our, in our manuscript. And then, for example, eventually you can keep dialing the quantum, uh, the quantum, you can keep moving with the, the quantum dial and get all the way, let's say, to, to, to universal or even fault-tolerant quantum devices, all the way from NIST to, let's say, to fault-tolerant. So basically, the, the novelty there is that you can see even what is the impact of how much quantum is buying you when you actually do, when you're, when you're trying your solution. And that's, a, that, that's actually so, so pretty much, I mean, that's a long answer just to, uh, that, that I can summarize as we need to really be the best at classical, but then if you're thinking of near-term devices, there are solutions for that. You can go with QAOA or quantum annealing, but there are also this family of problems that, that we are super excited about that we call the quantum inspired solutions. One thing that I wanted to remark about the algorithm and that is completely different from the other, uh, for the other approaches is that uh, most of the other approaches, let's say in annealing or in QAOA, you don't was, was, was mentioning that, that it's, it's usually very difficult to get the customer problem to, uh, to uh, something that you can run into the device. And that's actually why we need to be in some way holding hands and helping the customer to navigate that. That the mapping is, is difficult for the most part. In QAOA, the beautiful thing about QAOA is that is, is, is what is called a black box solver. So basically it doesn't matter the cost function that you're solving, we can still do that. So basically the most the closest algorithm that we can find in the classical machine learning community would be Bayesian optimization. So Bayesian optimization is an algorithm that where the cost function doesn't need to have uh, specific constraints or a specific uh, form. Like in the case of, of quantum annealing or gate based devices, we think of a polynomial form. In QEO, in our quantum enhanced optimization, actually is something that we can, we can completely leverage. Uh, it can be a, a, a black box, uh, a black box optimization uh, technique. So, so that's one of the, of, the, of the beautiful things about the algorithm. And the last thing that actually is also is remarkable about this algorithm is that it can, it can actually boost the solution. So if you give me the information that you, of, of preliminary results that you obtain with any solver, QEO being built on a machine learning framework, it will learn and grab those data, grab the data, and then it can only give you back actually solutions that are better than the ones that, 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 that you found until now. So it can be used as a booster in the sense that it captures your history where you had all the memory and all the calculations that you did aiming to solve that problem. So you capture that information, 
it is a machine learning uh, monster. So basically captures that information and then it delivers you back where you should be sampling next or where you should be exploring next. For example, you're thinking of portfolio optimization, it will suggest you where you should be actually, what would be the next portfolio that you should be trying in, a, uh, in, in your solution space. So that's, a, that's what we call uh, as, a, as a booster. That's, that's one of the modes of QEO, but you can also use it as a standalone solver and compete against, for example, patient optimization. And we had very, very encouraging results in our paper that, that you can take a look directly there. Okay, that was a lot of great information from Alejandro. So let's do a recap. Quantum machine learning and optimization can all be used together, and Alejandro has been working on this idea for a long while. In order to do that, though, you need to be able to understand the best machine learning and optimization algorithms if you want to be able to bring quantum in successfully. QAOA is a good place to start trying quantum optimization with NISC algorithms, and QEO allows you to dial up and down the amount of quantum you're using. Once you know your method you want to use, it can be difficult to get your problem into a suitable format unless your solver is a black box solver like QEO. And now Yudong is going to bring it home for us by telling us what all of that means for enterprise end users. Yeah, uh, so a lot of the very interesting science that uh, Alejandro mentioned um, actually involves both, actually involves a lot of classical processing uh, and then quantum quantum computer is sort of uh, this one particular component in the in in all of the uh, in in all of the steps involved uh, in in running these uh, algorithms. So I, I think an overarching theme that uh, uh, what that I think what uh, enterprise end users should start thinking about is uh, is that quantum uh, is not quantum computer is not sort of this isolated uh, uh, device that that is sort of a self-contained um, uh, sort of puzzle solver, right? It's it's. I think it's it should be quantum computer should be viewed as more of a, uh, of of an addition to to so, uh, as a, as an enhancement to the, the existing resources that one has uh, on on the on the classical uh, supercomputers, but uh, the 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 approach that we use to uh, to to leverage both quantum and classical uh, com computing resources requires almost like a rewriting, uh, almost like a re rethinking of uh, um, of, uh, of of the existing uh, paradigms, like existing par at least as far as optimization con uh, is concerned, um, to to produce to produce quantum optimization algorithms. Uh, th those quantum optimization algorithms will will look fundamentally different from. A lot of the familiar classical approaches, uh, like the interior point approaches, or, or simplex you know, for linear programming, or for uh, uh, so uh, so there's there's a there's a sort of conceptual shift, but also there's uh, uh, there's uh, there's this mix of uh, uh, classical resources and, and quantum resources. So uh, enterprise end users will will likely need to have a more sort of holistic approach. Uh, to quantum, which means that uh, it's it's not just about understanding what's going on on the quantum computer, but also uh, equally important uh, is uh, how the quantum computer is being, how the quantum computer, how, how quantum computing resources contributing to uh, to the overall uh, process uh, of the algorithm, and then I, I and then I can push this even further to 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 say that. Uh, 
Uh, it's not only it's not enough to produce an example of a quantum algorithm in a development environment. I think in order to really see whether quantum computing can help uh, in in, uh, in in reality with uh, with commercial use cases, uh, and end users will need to think about uh, deployment, and they they need to think about whether um, the the sort of precious quantum advantage uh, produced by a quantum device. Uh, will be overwhelmed by some uh, totally uh, unrelated software engineering uh, issues such as uh, you know, data cleaning or data pre-processing and so 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 this this sort of really uh, sort of brings a, a, a sort of unique perspective that uh, Zapata has which is that in, in our view uh, we we have the depth of the science to really think about how we can use quantum devices today to, uh, to, to drive advantage for industry scale uh, problems. And then motivated by that, we, we start to see there are all these sort of challenges that are derived from this mission, um, which is that you know, we, we need to uh, also push very hard on the classical computing side to improve the, um, for example, to, to improve the architecture and then to improve the uh, latency in, in data pre-processing and, and data transmission to improve the efficiency of uh, uh, all these uh, sort of uh, external steps uh, that are setting the stage for the for the quantum solutions, so so this this is sort of our the recommendation for the enterprise end users. At, at, you know, I think uh, if if uh, enterprise end users uh, want to tap into quantum computing and want to uh, be forward thinking in their initiatives. Uh, they should have a sort of holistic, holistic approach in a holistic strategy where uh, quantum uh, uh, quantum computing is sort of a, 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 a coherent part uh, uh, of, uh, of, of a larger initiative that also uh, supports you know, high performance uh, computing solutions in general. Well, this has all been super interesting, learned a lot of great information. Um, sun's getting a little bit low here in the quantum pod, so I'm going to say goodbye to the trees, uh, shut off the, the monitors, and uh, thank you, Alejandro and Yudong, for coming into the quantum pod. Thank you, Ethan. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Ethan. I hope you've enjoyed this episode about optimization and the challenges and opportunities that come with it. Something I learned in making this episode is that optimization problems are everywhere. You just need to know where to look. If your problem has constraints, complexity, and a potential for cost savings, ask your quantum partner, is optimization right for you? If you found this episode interesting, share this podcast with the hashtag, hashtag quantumpod, and tell us what you liked about it for a chance to win a free Zapata Computing t-shirt. Be sure to like the podcast wherever you listen to it, subscribe, and maybe even leave a review if you're feeling generous. Until next time, this is Ethan Hansen reminding you that fault-tolerant qubits don't just fall out of the sky. Yet. <laughs>